Hello and welcome back to another episode of the It's a Crime O'Clock Somewhere podcast. This is episode 49, part one of two. In today's episode, I will be talking about the murder of Annie Dewani. In today's first part, I will be going over the murder and the mastermind of the whole case. My sources for today's episode are Ani, the Honeymoon Killer on Investigation Discovery, Wikipedia, inews.co.uk, The Atavist Magazine, and bbc.com. As usual, all of my sources will be linked in today's show notes. When I arrived, the crime scene was cordoned off. I noticed the Volkswagen Charan parked on the left-hand side. I approached the vehicle, I looked inside, and I saw a lady slumped in the back seat. It was immediately obvious to me that she was deceased. There was something very strange about it. Red flags started going off in my mind, and I knew that it wasn't going to be a typical case. Ani Hindocha was born on May 12, 1982. She lived in Maristad, Sweden with her large extended family. Her father, uncle, and cousins all said that Ani was always happy and always smiling. This documentary opens on November 13, 2010 in Cape Town, South Africa, where Ani and her new husband, Shran Dewani, had gone for their honeymoon. Ani and Shran had met in London in 2009. Ani appeared happy and excited about the relationship. She told her family and friends that she thought she had met the one. The relationship was long distance until 2010 when Ani moved to the United Kingdom. They then were engaged and had a lavish wedding in Mumbai, India on October 29, 2010. While the relationship seemed perfect from the outside, it wasn't. Back to November 13th. Ani and Trin were taken by their taxi cab driver, a man named Zola Tongo. They had met him when he picked them up from the airport on November 12th. Ani and Shren had made arrangements to be picked up at 7.30 p.m. that night. They went to the hotel bar at 6.30 p.m. and could be seen on surveillance having a drink and taking pictures. At 7.30 p.m., Tongo picked up the couple. They had asked him to take them to a good sushi restaurant. He took them into a not-so-great area to a restaurant called Surfside. They stayed there for dinner. The restaurant wasn't great and they only stayed for a little bit before getting back into the car. The couple then asked Tongo to take them sightseeing, which Tongo would later say was mostly Annie's idea. Shrin spoke about African dancing, so Tongo decided to take them through the townships. The townships, well actually South Africa in general, has a very high crime rate. Many people would later say that they are very suspicious that a young couple with money would have been taken into an area like this and that Tongo should have known. While Ani, Shrin, and Tongo were driving into the townships, Tongo pulled the car over. Tongo was forced out of the car by two men. The two men then took the car further down the road and asked Shrin and Ani for their cell phones. Shrin didn't hand his over. He would later say one of the men put a gun to his head and told them he'd shoot, if he, he'd shoot him if he lied again. Ani was crying and begging them to let them go. Shrin was then forced out of the vehicle and he drove it and it drove away at a high rated speed. 
A bystander named Simbanal Metaskazi called 911, and I'm sorry, I absolutely butchered that name. The police immediately began their search for Ani. Shrin was escorted back to the Cape Grace Hotel by the police. Shrin was described as nicely dressed and calm. He explained to John Jonkers, the former night manager, as what had happened. Jonkers made sure that the meeting room was available and that Shrin had access to a phone. Around 1 a.m., Zola Tonga was brought into the hotel. He appeared to be very quiet. Jonkers became suspicious when he heard where Tongo had taken the couple. Everything that Tongo and Trin see, said seemed to match. Just a few hours later, at 7.50 a.m. The next, that morning, Tongo's abandoned car was found. Ani was dead inside the car in the back seat. Ani's family had been notified that something happened to her. When Ani's body was discovered, her father had been waiting to board his connecting flight into Cape Town. In Amsterdam, I got the news that uh, she was shot. I prayed, I prayed and hoped it was not true. It was true and all my flight from Amsterdam to Cape Town was a nightmare, really. Ani's body was then brought in for an autopsy. Ani was lying on her side and had been shot in the neck. The forensic pathologist, Dr. Jeanette Bursler, said it appeared as if Ani was trying to protect herself. The gunshot had grazed her hand and went into her neck and out her back. The major vein and artery in her neck had been perforated. Ani had bled to death. She had bruises in the shape of a handprint on her leg, but there was no sign of a sexual assault. This is a common theme in just the first two episodes of this documentary. For the police, alarm bells were going off immediately. They weren't sure why Tongo or Shrin were both let go. They could have both identified the hijackers. Many residents of the area also said the car would have just, wouldn't have just been left there with a body in it. Some said the car or would have been stripped or burned. Tongo was re-interviewed again, this time at the police station. He appeared confident and very sure of himself. Been kind of traumatized or upset by what happened. No, not at all. Said, yeah, he, he was very sorry for what happened. He didn't expect that to happen. He basically stuck to his story that they went to the restaurant and they got hijacked and he, he didn't deviate in any way from the initial story that he told the detectives on his first encounter. And I asked him, I, I said to him, you, being a proclaimed tour guide, you should know not to go into those areas. There's nothing for tourists to see. It's riddled with crime. It's even dangerous to go there during the day, never mind nighttime. He said, no, but it was, and he insisted, and he insisted on going through, and he just did what the clients requested. Two days after the murder, the forensics team reported its findings. A handprint was found on the windshield of the car. It belonged to a man named Zal Minjini. Minjini was found living with friends and was arrested. The morning after his arrest, the police held a press conference and Minjeni was brought to the crime scene. Ladies and gentlemen, South African Police Services in the Western Cape has effected an arrest in the matter of the uh, British um, lady who was murdered. The arrest came as a big surprise to all of us because we didn't even know that they had any clues as to 
who the perpetrators could be. So we were quite surprised that this all happened so quickly. We dropped the husband, yeah. Kolili Mgeni was a local thug, Skoli, from Kailicha. Mgeni also made a formal statement. He falsely accused his accomplice. Meanwhile, Shren had contacted the detective in charge of the case. I was in the office when I got a phone call from Shren, and he says to me, Captain, are you anywhere near the vehicle that we were hijacked in? I said, I do have forensic investigating officers that are there at the moment. What's up? How can I assist? He said, ask them to look in the back seat. There's a seam. The engagement ring should be down there. Shren was then asked to come down to the police station. He admitted that he had lied in his initial statement. He said he had given the hijackers Ani's ring, but now he knew that it was under the seat in the car. He appeared uncomfortable and began to pace as he was being questioned. That was not the only suspicious thing that Shren would later do. Three days after Ani was killed, Minjinian identified his real accomplice as Ms. Awamdaba Kwabi. He was arrested on November 18th after a tipster had pointed out where he was. Kwabe told the police that a man named Mande Mawambo, a receptionist at the Colossum Hotel, was the middleman. He denied being involved at first, but later said he had been the one to set up the attack. All three men that were arrested told the police that Shren Dewani had wanted his wife dead. I was sitting questioning a Malombo in my office, Kwabe in the office just next door. And at some stage, Kwabe asked to go to the toilet. And as he got to my door and he saw me with Mbalombo, he asked in English, he was quite uh, courteous. And he said, could I just say something to this man? I'll speak English. And I said, go ahead. Kwabe was in the other office. So he came to me, said, Monde, tell them everything. that Friday. I was at work, so I was okay at the front desk. Tongo came to me, and then he wanted to talk to me. And then he said, do I know any hitman? I was shocked when Zona asked me that, because we never talk about those, those kind of uh, things. I said first, I don't know any hitman. And then I said, well, okay, what I'll do, let me phone a, a friend of mine. So I phoned Kwabe and then telling him, it's all on the line, I would like to, like to speak to you. So Zola called me on Friday, around about 12 in the morning. So he explained to us that there's a couple that he'll be bringing into the township and apparently the husband That was the end of episode one. Now we'll be getting into episode two titled The Mastermind, which will still be part of this part one episode. And then three and four are going to be part of part two for next week. Anyways, on November 17th, Ani's body was released and returned to the UK. Shren had accompanied on the flight. Ani's family was in denial and still trying to figure out what had happened. 
Zola Tongo had contacted a lawyer named William DeGrasse. He then made contact with the police. A week after the murder, Tongo turned himself in. He too said that Shrin wanted Ani dead. Tongo and DeGrasse had asked for a deal. Tongo wanted 10 years, but a plea deal of 18 years was agreed on. At that point, there was no evidence against Shrin. He was acting very strangely and downright mean to her family. The family wanted to have a private goodbye without Shrin knowing, but he found out, and when he arrived, he was furious. He took the flowers and written letters that Ani's family had written and threw them on the floor. Two days after Ani's funeral, Shrin, in a recorded statement, explained why he was upset. Thirteen days after the murder, Zola Tongo made his statement to the police. He told them that Shrin and Tongo first met when he had picked him and Annie up from the airport. He then reached out to him the next day, asking them to drive them around. Shrin and Tongo had created their plan to kill Ani on the day they were dropped off at Cape Grace Hotel. Shrin and Ani can be seen on surveillance footage arriving at the hotel. Shrin walks out to Tongo's car where they have a 9-11 to 11 minute conversation. Everything so far on their surveillance seemed to match Tongo's story. Then, the surveillance footage was also obtained from the Kalesam Hotel. Tongo arrives to speak to the middleman, Malambo. They walked into this back office and called Kwambe. That same day, Tongo went to pick up Shrin to get his money exchanged. Shrin had promised to pay Tongo. Two days after the murder, Tongo contacted Shrin and showed up at the Cape Grace Hotel to collect. Shrin had been sitting with Vinod, Ani's father. He can be seen getting up from the table to go meet with Tongo. Tongo then leaves with a white envelope. After the funeral, Ani's cousin shared information with her family. Ani and her cousin were very close, and she had confided in her about her true relationship with Shrin. Twelve weeks before the wedding, Ani had written, quote, hate him, I'm not happy, end quote. Eight weeks before, she said she had been fighting with Shrin and told him she was going home. She also told her cousin that she wished she had never gotten engaged. A day before the honeymoon, Ani wrote, quote, crying is my new hobby, end quote. On the second day of the honeymoon, she said Shrin was a good guy, but that she just didn't feel happy at all. Before Tongo's trial began, the prosecutor contacted Ani's family. In December 2010, Ani's family flew to Cape Town. It was then that Ani's family learned that Shrin could have been the true mastermind of Ani's death. Ani's family was asked to sign papers to approve extradition and to agree to Tongo's plea deal. Three weeks after the murder, Tongo began his 18-year prison sentence. He was to give evidence at Kwambi and Minjeni's trials, but didn't at Minjeni's 2012 trial. Tongo is still serving his sentence. The episode will end with the information that Shrin was arrested on December 7, 2010 and charged with conspiracy to murder. Arrested in Bristol at half past ten last night, Shrin Duwani was brought to court in London this morning, wanted by the South African government, accused of plotting the assassination of his wife, Annie. Dressed in a hooded sweatshirt, he listened intently as the prosecution described him as the main instigator in a plan to kill his wife. Next week, we'll be talking about the motive behind the crime and about the other three trials. Even though this is a two-part episode, I will still have a book recommendation for both parts. 
For this week, my book recommendation is The Lost Boy by S.A. McEwen. Summary. The happiest-looking families sometimes hide the darkest secrets. In a quiet Melbourne suburb, a young boy vanishes from his front yard without a trace. Thrust into the limelight, his parents start to unravel. The more time that elapses with no leads, the more public opinion starts to swing from sympathy to suspicion. And the image of the perfect family starts to crack under the increasing scrutiny of the media and the police. The boy's mother, Olivia, knows better than anyone that even the happiest-looking families harbor secrets. Review I think this reminds me of every missing persons case ever. Obviously, the family is always the top suspects, and sometimes the family is involved. I, too, have different opinions of whether or not the families have been involved on some of the cases I've looked into. I think we all do. We create a theory in our heads, and if someone acts even slightly guilty or suspicious, then it's hard not to think that that person is involved. This book was full of twists and turns, and I give it an 8 out of 10. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I'd love to know what you think about the first part. I'm sure most of you or some of you have heard about this case. Please subscribe to my blog, follow me on Instagram, join my Patreon, buy me a coffee, rate and review. As usual, I'll be back next week with an all new case and book recommendation. And remember, it's crime o'clock somewhere.